Earlier, it's a, a privilege to be here with you this morning. Uh, when Pastor Rob reached out to me and said, hey, would you want to preach at Wheaton Bible Church? Uh, I said yes, even before he was done asking. So uh, it's a privilege to be here, and it's good to feel like I'm, I'm with family. You know, even though we're about 20, 25 minutes north from here at Tri-Village, it's amazing to see how we, being the body of Christ, it's just being with family. And so it's a privilege to be here with you this morning. Now this morning, uh, we are continuing and concluding our series entitled Gospel Parenting. Gospel Parenting. And this is a series that Pastor Rob started last week, and he did such a wonderful job of that. I reached out to him this week, and it's hard to find Rob on during the week. It's hard. It's like, it's, it's really hard. Just, just take my word for it. And so, but I went out of my way to find him because it was a message that so encouraged me in my walk and my parenting. And so hopefully it was a blessing for those of you who are here. Um, and so this morning I want to continue and conclude that series. And what I want to do this morning is I want to talk to you about the purpose of parenting. I want to talk to you about the purpose of parenting. Now here's the thing. When you as a parent, if you're a young parent or you've been a parent for 35, 40 years, whenever you come to a, a mass to message and you find out that the message is on parenting, one of the things you do is you, you take your notebook out, you take your pen out, and you want to take as many notes as you can. And the reason why is because you want to find out how am I supposed to do this thing called parenting, right? And what a lot of us want when we come to a parenting series is we want people to tell us what to do. We want the practice. We want to hear about the practice of parenting, the practical steps we need to take in order for, be, for us to deal with our toddler or our teenager or our young adult, right? But this morning what I want to do is instead of talking to you about the practice of parenting, I want to talk to you about the purpose of it. The purpose of parenting. And the reason why I want to talk to you about the purpose of parenting is because what I've seen in my own life is that part of the reason why I struggle so much when it comes to parenting is not necessarily because I don't know what to do, but because I have forgotten why I'm doing it. Let me say that again. What I've noticed in my own life is that part of the reason why I struggle so much is not because I have forgotten what to do, but because I've forgotten why I am doing it. So what a lot of parents do, part of the reason why a lot of parents are so frustrated and so discouraged and so overwhelmed is not because they don't know what to do, but they just lose sight of why they are doing what they're doing. The why is what the biggest struggle is. And so if you're anything like me, sometimes you look at your, your kids and you ask yourself, how do I even know if I'm doing a good job? Right? Like how, do I, how can I even determine whether I'm succeeding or not. Like, like who does this child have to be at 18 or 21, at the age of 18 or 21, for me to, quote, unquote, have succeeded? And I feel like a lot of parents are, like me, are kind of just parenting without a map. Like, you're just going from day to day hoping, I hope that helped. I hope that didn't destroy them, right? I hope I didn't just ruin their lives, what I just said. It was like we're parenting without a map. And here's the thing. A lot of us, what happens is we view parenting as a series of unrelated conversations. But what we're going to learn today is that parenting is not a series of unrelated conversation. It's one continuous conversation that we have throughout the life of our child. And some days that conversation goes further. Some days we make no progress in that conversation. But it's not a series of unrelated events or unrelated conversations. It's one long event and one long conversation. That's what we're going to learn today. And so the purpose of parenting, I'm about to give it to you in a couple seconds, in a few seconds. The purpose of parenting, I want to warn you before I give it to you, it really isn't that interesting. It really isn't that groundbreaking. It really isn't that new. Okay? See, the reason why Christian authors make so much money is because they're always saying there's new things when it comes to parenting. And there really isn't any new things. 
Okay? Because if we needed Christian books to raise our kids, then how did the early church raise their kids? See, Christian books are good, but they don't replace this book. So what we're going to see is that the purpose of parenting really isn't that sexy, really isn't that interesting, really isn't that groundbreaking. It's actually kind of boring, very ancient, very predictable, okay? And here, here's the purpose of parenting. You could put it up on the slide behind me. The purpose of parenting is to make disciples. The purpose of parenting is to make disciples. Now, just to make sure we all got that, I want to go ahead and say that together, ready? If you're not one of those interactive types, too bad, okay? That's, that's between you and God, all right? So, so we're going to say this together, okay? Ready? The purpose of parenting is to make disciples. Let's go ahead and do it one more time because I know someone still doesn't believe it, okay? The purpose of parenting is to make disciples. That's it. That's the purpose of parenting. It's as simple as that. The purpose of parenting is to make disciples. Now, now here's the thing, though. The reason why I'm excited, the reason why I, as I studied, you know, the scripture this week and got prepared for this message, the reason why I'm so excited about the fact that the purpose of parenting is to make disciples is that there's two reasons why that's really, really good news for us. The first reason why that's good news for us is because it doesn't matter how old your kids are. It doesn't matter if you have a 2-year-old, a 12-year-old, or a 42-year-old. If the purpose of parenting is to make disciples, then the purpose for your parenting never changes. It's always the same purpose. You're always called to make disciples regardless of how old your kids are. You see, because one of the assumptions that we make is that the purpose of parenting is to produce obedient children. But if the purpose of parenting was just to produce obedient children, then the moment your children became teenagers, your job would be done. Right? Well, not really because they're probably worse when they're teenagers, right? You see, but if we limited parenting to just obedient kids, then when they stopped being kids, we'd be done. If the purpose of parenting was to uh, uh, produce law-abiding citizens, then the moment they became 18 and left your house, you would be done. But the purpose of parenting is neither of those things. The purpose of parenting is to make disciples. And since that's the purpose of parenting, our purpose never changes regardless of how old our children are. The purpose never actually changes. Okay? Here's the other reason why that principle is so important. That why it's good news that the purpose of parenting is to make disciples. It's also good news because there are people here that because of your age, you don't have kids yet. Or maybe God calls you to singleness and so you don't have kids of your own. Right? Or maybe you married into a family, you're in a step, you're, maybe you're a stepmom or a stepfather and they're not your kids and so you feel like how much can I help in this if they're not my kids. But if the purpose of parenting is to make disciples, then that means we're all called to make disciples regardless of whether we have kids or not. And so our job is to help parents disciple their kids, whether that's our nieces, our nephews, our stepchildren, our neighbors, uh, 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 the, the children in children's church, the youth in youth ministry. All of us are called to make disciples regardless of whether we have children or not. And so a lot of times when you do a series on parenting, the people who aren't parents feel bad because they feel like, okay, I'm about to hear a sermon on something that has nothing to do with me. But the reality is, is that if the purpose of parenting is to make disciples, then it has everything to do with all of us. And all of us have to pay attention because we're all called to make disciples of the next generation, whether they're our kids or someone else's kids. Okay? Now the thing about that principle, about the purpose of parenting is to make disciples, is that on the surface it seems very simple. Right? 
Part of you are like, man, come on, there's got to be a better purpose than that. How, how, how lame is that? How boring is that? To make disciples, really, that's what we're going with? But here's the thing. Even though the principle is simple, it doesn't mean the principle is easy. Something can be very simple and be very difficult. And making disciples is very difficult. You know how I know making disciples is very difficult? Because Jesus had 12 of them. And one of them betrayed him and the other one denied him three times. And there was another guy who was following him who ran away uh, uh, butt naked when the soldiers showed up. That's a fail in my book. I don't know about you, but if, 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 it, if it comes down, to, if, it's, if it's time to throw down and you leave naked, I lost. Like I didn't do a good job, okay? Okay. And so we know discipleship is hard because it was even hard for Jesus. It was even hard for Jesus. Now the reason why I know that the purpose of parenting is to make disciples is because the passage that we're looking at this morning tells us that. And the passage that we're looking at, that looking at this morning, if you have your Bibles, is Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to look at Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, we're going to have it up on the screen behind me. And here's what it says in Matthew 28. Uh, verses 16 through 20. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so the reason why I know that the purpose of parenting is to make disciples is because the purpose of every Christian's life is to make disciples. But one of the mistakes that we as parents make is that, okay, I was a Christian and my purpose was to make a disciple. But now that I'm a parent, I have a different purpose. No, you don't. It's the same purpose. You're just doing it with your kids now. The purpose doesn't change. It's the same plan. Make disciples of all nations, and all nations includes your cul-de-sac. All nations includes your minivan. All nations includes your living room. We are called to make disciples of all nations, and that's the, the purpose of parenting, to make disciples. Now, because making disciples, like I already said, even though the concept is very simple, it doesn't mean that it's easy. And because it's not easy, because it's easily the hardest thing we'll ever do, what Jesus does in this passage is he gives us three resources that we can use, we can tap into in order for us to fulfill the purpose of parenting, in order for us to make disciples. And so in this passage, there are three resources he gives us. The first resource that Jesus gives us is he gives us a mission. He gives us a mission. If you could put those three up. He gives us a mission. The second resource that Jesus gives us is he gives us a message. He gives us a message. And then lastly, the third and final resource that Jesus gives us is he gives us the means by which to do it. So because parent, making disciples, making disciples of your children is the hardest thing you'll ever do, what Jesus does in this passage is he gives us a mission, a message, and the means. He gives us the resources that we are going to need in order to fulfill the purpose of parenting. And so for the rest of our time, what we're going to do is we're going to look at each one of these resources and we're going to see how they help us Meet the purpose of parenting. So the first resource that Jesus gives us is he gives us a mission. Look what it says in verse 18. In verse 18 of Matthew 28, he says, 
in the second part of it, he says, all authority in heaven, I'm sorry, no, verse 19. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And so what Jesus does in verse 19 is he gives us a very clear, compelling mission. And he says that the mission that we've been given as parents is to go and make disciples. That's the first resource he gives us. A clear mission. And what's the mission? To go and make disciples. But here's what happens with a lot of us, and I'm including myself in this. What happens with a lot of us is we take this very clear mission and we make it unclear. We misinterpret it. And when we misinterpret it, we misunderstand it. And when we misunderstand it, we don't end up carrying out the mission that he's calling us to carry out. So it's a very simple command. It's a very simple mission. Go and make disciples. We're so messed up, we, we, we get that wrong. As clear as that is, we, we miss it up. And there's two words, there's two words in that command that we tend to misinterpret. And because we misinterpret them, we end up misunderstanding what Jesus is actually trying to tell us. The first word that I think we get wrong when we look at that command, that mission, is the word go. The word go. We tend to misinterpret what that word go means. And when we get it wrong, we end up not carrying out the mission he's calling us to carry out. And the other word that we tend to misinterpret when we look at the passage is the word disciple. He says, go, therefore, go and make disciples. And we get two of the words wrong. Go and disciples. And I'm going to explain each of them uh, in a second. Go and disciples. So the first word that Jesus, that we tend to misinterpret when we look at the mission Jesus has given us is we get the word go wrong. And here's why, here's why we get the word go wrong. Because when you hear the word go, you make the assumption that where you are currently standing is not good enough. So when you open up Matthew 28 and you look at verse 19 and the, the first thing Jesus says is to go. When you hear go, the assumption that we automatically make as parents is that, okay, if he's telling me to go, that means that where I'm currently at is not good enough. That means I have to go to Africa. That means I have to go to uh, uh, Asia. That means I have to go to the Middle East because clearly he's telling me to go somewhere and I'm not doing that. And so we assume that go means to go somewhere. But here's what's so interesting. The word go in the Greek is actually not a command. There's only one command that Jesus gives in this whole passage. The only command that Jesus gives in this entire passage is go, is the, is the make disciples. That's the only command. The only imperative that Jesus gives is make disciples. The word go there is not a command. It's a participle describing the, the command. The word go is meant to describe the command, not be a command. And because it's a participle, here's what a participle means in Greek. It means that it's an ing word. A participle ends with ing. And so what he's really saying is, since it's a participle, not a command, he's saying, as you are going, make disciples. Hey, listen, disciples, as you are going through life, make disciples. You see, when you understand that it's a participle and not a command, it's an ing word, all of a sudden that changes the whole meaning of the passage. Jesus isn't telling you to go to Africa, even though some people might be called to Africa. Jesus isn't calling you to go to the Middle East, even though some people might be called to the Middle East. When he says, as you are going, make disciples, he's saying, listen, wherever you go throughout the day, make sure you're making disciples. And so you don't need to go to Africa to make disciples. You just have to look behind you in your minivan. Look in the back seat. You don't have to go to Asia, just go to your living room. You don't have to go to Papua New Guinea, just look around your dinner table. As you are going, make disciples. That's what Jesus is saying. 
So that means that, that means the dinner table, that means bedtime, that means the car, that means aisle four of Jewel, that means uh, at, at school, that means uh, at, uh, at parent-teacher conferences. It, it, as you are going, make disciples. And if you think about it, that's exactly what the passage that we were looking at last week said. When we were looking at Deuteronomy, what, what Rob was looking at, it talks about how we are to impress these truths on our children as we walk and as we lie down and as we wake up. It's as you are going through life that you are to make disciples. You don't have to go anywhere. Which is bad news for all the missionary types who use this verse for sending, sending you know, for, for a mission fest. They're actually misinterpreting the passage. Because it doesn't say to go anywhere. It says, as you are going, make disciples. Some people are like, oh, so when he says go, that must mean there's some unreached people group that I have to go reach in Papua New Guinea. No, you have an unreached people group. They live at your house. You have one. You already have an unreached people group. A group of people that have never heard the gospel who need it. That's why it makes me laugh when stay-at-home moms, when I talk to stay-at-home moms and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm not really being that missional. I'm not really being that evangelistic. You know, I, I don't really feel like I'm discipling anybody. And I'm like, are you serious? You're with your kids every day. Of course you're being missional. Of course you're being evangelistic. Of course you're discipling. Of course you are. It doesn't matter how old those kids are. You're always discipling. Yeah, I came across this quote by Charles Spurgeon uh, a few weeks ago, and it was just so, it was so encouraging to me to know that the issues we struggle with today are not just modern-day issues. He wrote, he said, as much as I appreciate Sunday school for children, he's like, my only fear is that parents are going to start thinking that it will replace them in the job that they have to do. So even back then, Spurgeon was dealing with it. Kid, parents were doing the, I'm dropping my kid off, fix them in the one hour you have with them per week so that I don't have to do anything on the other seven days of the week. They were already doing it back then. And so when parents bring kids to youth groups and to children's ministries and to camps and they're like, oh, you, yeah, yeah, pastor, you got this. Please fix everything and I'll see you in, in, in four days. That's not how it works. You are the primary spiritual influence, influence in your child's life. You are. Not the pastor. Not the children's director, you are. And until you see that, until you understand that, you're not going to take, take advantage of the opportunity that God's given you the way you should. You're just not going to do it. Here's a quote from, from John Wesley. Look at this quote by John Wesley. You could put that up. He says, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than from all the theologians of England. So think about it. John Wesley and his brother started a denomination. A denomination. And he says, I learned more from my mom than from all the theologians in England. And his mom, for those of you who don't know, his mom had 19 kids. 19 kids. Someone sneezed. They got allergic when they heard that. <laughs> 19 kids. And according to, the, to the, what I was reading... Nine of, the, nine of the 19 died in infancy. You know what it is to have nine children die in infancy? So she only was able to raise 10 of them, and two of them started the nomination, the other one became a famous hymn writer. Isn't that crazy? You are the primary influencer in your child's life. You are. Okay? But then the other word we get wrong is not just the word go, we also get the word disciple wrong. It's not just the word go we get wrong, we also get the word disciple wrong. You see, because here's the thing, the, listen to me, listen very close to me. 
the only plan that God blesses is his plan. Okay? The only plan that God blesses is the discipleship plan. But here's what a lot of us want. A lot of us want God's power, but we're not really that excited about his plan. And so, God, I want you to help me with my children, but I don't know about the whole disciple thing. And so even though all of us claim, to, claim that we want to make disciples, if, you, if I were to follow you, if, if anyone were to follow you around for a week or, or a month, you would see, they would see clearly that your great commission is very different from God's great commission. Instead of go and make disciples, your great commission, even though you claim to be the same one that's in here, your great commission would be go and make athletes. Go and make athletes. Because when you, when you actually look at how you're living, football, soccer, baseball, gymnastics is more important than, than Jesus at your house. So you're like, well, why would you accuse me of that? You have no right to accuse me of that. Of course my kid wants me, wants, knows that I want to make him a disciple. Really? When you skip church for, for football every other week? Johnny's getting the message that Jesus is important? It's not how it works. We think that our kids judge us by what we believe. They don't judge us by what we believe. They judge us by what they perceive. You can have all the right theology, but your great commission is go and make athletes. For some of us, the, our great commission is go and make successful business people. So I want my child to be educated. I want them to go to the best school. I want them to go and get a great job. Hey, all those things are great, but that's not what God's calling you to do. God's not calling you to make the next Steve Jobs, God's calling you to make someone who looks like Jesus. And some of us, what we do is we try to give our children the opposite of whatever we didn't have. So if we didn't have, if we grew up poor, we want them to be rich. If we grew up lonely, we want them to have community. If we grew up dumb, we want them to be smart. If we grew up without a parent, we want to be helicopter parents. And so we give them the exact opposite of whatever we had. But the problem is if the exact opposite of whatever you had is not discipleship, then you're not doing what God wants you to do. And a lot of us, and I put me in this category too, a lot of us would be more than, more than content, more than content with just having elder brothers. We talked about the elder brother and the prodigal son. The elder brother was always at home. He always did the right thing. He was responsible. He was respectable. Everyone liked him. Everyone loved him. But at the end of the story, we see that he was further from the father than the younger brother, even though he never left the house. If I'm honest with you guys, I would be totally okay with my kids just being elder brothers. Just don't embarrass me. Just grow up and please don't embarrass me. But that's not what God's calling us to do. He's not calling us to make elder brothers. God's calling us to make disciples. It's the only plan he blesses. Okay? So Jesus gives us a mission, but then he also gives us a message. And I won't spend as much time on this one. But look what it says in, in verse 19. He says, uh, at the end of the second half of verse 19, he says, baptizing them... In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so what Jesus does here in, in this passage, in this part, is he gives us, the second resource Jesus gives us is he gives us a message. He's already given us a mission and now what he does here is he gives us a message. He says, everything I have commanded you. And the message that Jesus ultimately gives us as Christians is he gives us the gospel. The gospel is the message that Jesus gave us. 
That's the message that we are to preach to ourselves every day and the message that we are to preach to our children every single day. Now, for those of you who are new to church and don't know what the gospel is, here's what the gospel is. The gospel is a little bit of bad news mixed with a little bit of good news. The gospel is you are more sinful than you ever imagined and yet you are more loved and accepted than you ever have hoped. You are so sinful that Jesus had to die for you, but you are so loved that he was glad to die for you. That's the gospel. Okay? It's good news and bad news. Bad news and good news. And you need both. If you take, if you take the good news out, then all you have is Islam and Judaism. If you take the, 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 the bad news out and all you have is good news, then all you have is postmodernism. The gospel is both at the same time. It's both. And your children need both. But what a lot of parents do is they only give the, their kids the bad news. They only give their kids the law. It's law, 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 law. And you make statements like, if it's the last thing I'll do, I'm going to make you a Christian. Like if it's up to you. Like if it's your power to change their heart. It's your power to do anything about it. Right? And so we use law and we use law and we use law. That's what the, the bad news parents do. They use law. And they're convinced that if, if I can just give you enough law, you're going to change. But here's the thing, if the law can change, if the law was able to change your children, then there was no need for Jesus to come and die. When you tell God, all I need is your law, what you're telling him is I don't need your son. And so when we try the, the law parenting and we just gotta just beat it into them, it just doesn't work. So what a lot of law parents do is they do the, what Paul Chip calls the monastic parenting. And monastic parenting is I'm going to try to keep you away from all the really, really bad stuff. I'm going to keep you away from all the bad stuff. So you can't listen to that song. You can't hang out with those people. And you can't watch that movie. And we put our kids in this bubble wrap. And we're convinced that if we can just be monastic with our parents and just take our kids out of the evil world, then they're going to be fine. But here's the thing. Listen, the most dangerous thing in your child's life the, most, the, the thing that's most likely to stop them from growing spiritually is not outside of them, it's inside of them. That's what the monks ended up finding out. That's why the monk, the monk revival, the, the, the whole monk movement doesn't really exist anymore. Because they try to get away from the world and they thought, I got to get away from all this evil stuff. And then they got to some monastery in the middle of nowhere and they realized, no matter how far I get, I can't get away from myself. I'm still here. Our biggest problem, our children's biggest problem is not outside of them, it's inside of them. And so when all you use is law, what you're telling your kids is that they can do it. When the purpose of the law is to show them that they can't do it. They can't do it. Look at this quote from Elise Fitzpatrick, if you could put that quote up. She says, remember that you, uh, the first one. Yeah, that one. yeah, thank you. So we have to remember that in the life of our unregenerate children, the law is given for one reason only, to crush their self-confidence and to drive them to Christ. It's the only reason why God gave us his law, to crush their self-confidence and to drive them to Christ. But we use the law to build their self-confidence up. Like, hey, honey, you're doing so great. Have I told you how awesome you are? You're amazing. You're the one kid that doesn't need Jesus. You just, you could do it by yourself. You're amazing. You know, in Psalm 14, 1, it says no one is righteous, not even one. But you're the one that's righteous. You got this. And so what Tim Keller says is that we use two tools to, to try to change our kids. We use fear and we use pride. So we say to them, hey, if you, diso if you disobey, I'm going to get you. And if I don't get you, God's going to get you. So be careful. Or we use pride. Oh, you know why you want to be a good kid? Because you don't want to be like those bad kids. 
You're so much better than those people. What do you want to be in jail? You're so much better than people in jail. Don't, no, get, you, you're a good kid. And so we use fear and pride and then we're shocked when we get elder brothers. So what he gives us, he gives us the mission, he gives us a message, and the last thing Jesus gives us is he gives us the means. He gives us the means by which to do it. And in this passage, he gives us two means, two promises. In verse 18, it says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's one of the promises he makes. And then he makes another promise in verse, at the end of verse 20. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so what Jesus does is he, he, he bookends this, this, amazing, this incredibly difficult command with two promises. So on the, he tells us all authority has been given to us, to him. All authority has been given to me. And then right after that he follows up at the end of it by saying, surely I am with you always. So he gives us two means by which to do this very difficult thing. He gives, us, he, reminds, he gives us his power and then he gives us his presence. He reminds, us of, he reminds us of his power and then he reminds us of his presence. The first thing Jesus does is he gives us his power. He reminds us of his power because he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think about what that means. If all authority has been given to Jesus, you know what that means? No authority has been given to us. There's only a certain amount of authority. And the word authority in Greek means, it means, it means authority, but it also means power, control, jurisdiction. So if all the power, control, and jurisdiction has been given to Jesus, then what that means is none of the power, control, and jurisdiction has been given to us. And a lot of parents need to get that through their heads. Because we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're okay with God's will being done in heaven. We're okay with God's will being done, uh, will being done on earth. But God, don't you dare touch my, my, my minivan. My will is done in my minivan. Don't touch my living room, God. It's my will that's done in my living room, God. Hey, don't even think about going into the bedrooms either. It's my will that's done in their bedrooms, God. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. If you want me, you got to have all of me. And that means I'm in control, not you. I have the power, not you. The only person that can change your child's heart is Jesus. So he promises us his power. And then he concludes by promising us his presence. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The word always there means the whole of every day. I just think that's so beautiful. That God is with us, Jesus through the Holy Spirit is with us the whole of every day. In other words, there's not one second, there's not one millisecond in your parenting that God is not with you. He's always in the car with you. He's always at the dinner table with you. He's there when you're tucking him in at night. He's there when you wake up in the morning. He's there every single moment. There's a lot of parents here who have older children and your children maybe be prodigals or not walking with the Lord and you feel like you're alone. And you feel like God has abandoned you. You feel like God was present when they were toddlers but you haven't seen God in years. And what this promise tells us is that God is with us even when it doesn't feel like he's with us. He's never abandoned you and he loves your child just as much now as he did when they were two. So he promises us his power and his presence. So let me summarize and then I'll conclude. In this passage, we discovered that the purpose of parenting is to what? Oh, wow, that was horrible. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and try that again. Uh, so I just wasted 30 minutes. Uh, okay, no, one, no one's listening. Uh, so let's go ahead and do it again. The purpose of parenting is to what? Make disciples, right? And then because making disciples is so hard, he gives us three resources. He gives us a mission, he gives us a message, and he gives us the means by which to do it. 
Now, there's one thing I want to say here, and this, I just think this is the perfect way to conclude. Because I think it just summarizes who we are. If you look at the passage one more time, in verse 17, there's this very interesting thing that happens. In verse 17 it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. So it's talking about the disciples, right? So think about it. Just give you some context. Jesus just, he said he was going to die, right, and resurrect. And then the dude died and resurrected. Okay. That's pretty awesome. I'm going to listen to whatever he says. Okay. So when they saw him, they worshipped him. There should be a period right there. It should be done. Because the dude said he was going to die and come back and he did. Right? So the worship him should be the end of it. But in the passage it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. What? You know what the word doubt means in Greek? It means to waver. The only other place in the New Testament where this word doubt is used is when Peter is walking on the water towards Jesus and he starts to doubt him. He starts to waver and he goes under. That's the only other place in the New Testament where this word is used. But isn't that such a description of us as parents? All the stuff God has done, all the things Jesus did through the gospel, and what we do is we doubt. It's like the one thing as parents that we're good at, consistently good at, is that doubting God. So the question is, what do you do the next time you doubt? The next time doubt creeps into your parenting. You see, because as you see how doubt works, right, we're all really encouraged right now. And then by, by Tuesday, the doubt starts creeping in, right? And then, and then by Wednesday, you're, you're, you're considering another religion. And then by, by, Saturday, by Saturday, you're an atheist, all right? Like, right? That's usually how doubt works, okay? So what do we do the next time doubt shows up? What do we do the next time the doubt starts creeping in? Here's what we do. The way you make a disciple is by being one. A.W. Tozer says that the only people that can produce disciples are disciples. I came across this quote the other day where it says, a lot of parents are so busy talking to our children about God that we never talk to God about our children. If you want your kids to believe the gospel, you believe the gospel. If you want your kids to find their identity, their security, and their value in what Jesus did for them, you find your identity, value, and security in what Jesus did for you. You do it. And then they'll do it. You live it. And then they'll live it. See, listen, even though parenting is the hardest thing you'll ever do, parenting is not the hardest, uh, even though parenting is the hardest thing you'll ever do, it's not the hardest thing that's ever been done. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do, but it's not the hardest thing that's ever been done. The hardest thing that was ever done was, was when God gave up his son at the cross. And so even though it is very, very, very difficult for us to give up our children to God, it was much harder for him to give up his child for us. And so the reason why we know God's going to be faithful, even when we doubt, the reason why we know God's going to be faithful in the little storms of life and parenting is because God was faithful in the greatest storm of life, which was at the cross. But even though this is the hardest thing we'll ever do, it's not the hardest thing that's ever been done. That was done by God. And when we fail, he will succeed. And when we're imperfect, he'll be perfect. And when we drop the ball, he'll pick it up. Because he's ultimately the one that's doing the work in them and in us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for just who you are. I want to thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, your, your word is just so amazing. On the one hand, it crushes us because we know we can't do it. But on the other hand, it points us to Jesus. 
See, the, 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 we thank you for your law because your law is what crushes our self-confidence and, and, and leads us back to you. Lord, we thank you that our hope is built in nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. And that includes our parenting. Our hope in our parenting is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.